bless. It's great to have you guys this morning with us too. John chapter 4. We're not going to read all of the passage, but it is a well-known passage for many of you will have heard this account in Scripture many, many times, and it's one part of Scripture I think most pastors love to preach on. But I want to read these two verses that have been mentioned this morning. In fact, they were sung over us this morning. Yet a time is coming and has come, verses 23 and 24, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. These words that Jesus is speaking are in the middle of an account that is recorded about him coming alongside the woman of Samaria. And there's great detail within this story. There's great detail within this account that shows the heart of a father who sent the son to come and find us. Can't even remember the title of the song, but we were singing a song recently about how the Lord would, was it climb mountains and knock mountains down to come and pursue us? And do you know he did? We've just celebrated the Lord's table this morning and we know that when Christ went to the cross and he died for us, that was him coming to earth to make a way to get us to the Father. And here in this account where Jesus meets this woman, there are a few things I want to pull out about this, but we know from this account that Jesus knew, and he knows exactly where you are today. He knows all about you. He knows all that you're going through. And we're going to see that as we reveal this arm. But he knew exactly where this one was. But you know the lovely thing about this account is this. In that day, Jews and Samaritans didn't mix. In fact, a Jewish man would rather cross the Sea of Galilee than do a shorter way round to get to Judea where he would want to be because he would have to go into Samaria. They just did not mix. I went to Bible college with a lad that when we traveled by boat over to um, Nantwich and Cheshire and Miller, he would never go through Hollyhead in Dublin because he wouldn't give them their money, his money. That's how bitter he was. He wasn't going to give them money. But the Lord's a lovely sense of humor because the Lord sent them to minister Monaghan. These people didn't mix. And yet we read in verse 4 of this passage how that Jesus had to go through Samaria. You see, the Lord Jesus had an encounter to have that day. The Lord Jesus that day was going to have a divine appointment as he comes to meet this woman. And yes, there was history between the Jews and the Samaritans because what had happened was this, that when they were taken over by the Assyrians many, many years previous to this, they were dispersed throughout the land and some of the Jewish people were sent up north to the north part of the kingdom where there were Gentile people and instead of them, like the good Jewish people in Jerusalem, staying faithful and only marrying among their own, they started to marry the Gentiles. So therefore, these people were known as half-breeds, they would have called them. And then to make matters worse, when the Lord sent his servants Ezra and Nehemiah back to Israel, back to rebuild the temple, these people up north thought they would do a good turn and come down and help them rebuild the temple. But because they had married other people and they were longer pure Jews, 
They were rejected by the Jewish people in Israel and they were scorned. So you can imagine where the walls of bitterness went up between these two groups of people. And yet with all their history, with all the bitterness, with all the pain, everything, Jesus breaks down the walls of prejudice. And Jesus goes and he knows exactly where this woman is at this time of day and he meets up with this lady because he wanted to have a divine encounter with this woman with her life. And we see that not only does he break down this encounter through prejudice of who she is, but also the gender. You see, we find that this lady's out collecting water, and we're going to come back to this at midday, which was a strange time of the day for this lady to be out getting water. But a Jewish man would never have approached a single Jewish lady on her own, never mind a Samaritan lady on their own, because it wasn't culture. You wouldn't do that. And yet Jesus broke the boundaries of gender to come and meet this lady because he had something precious for her soul. Why was she at the well at midday? Strange time because women would collect their water in the coolness of the morning for the full day ahead and to go out in the baking sun if you've ever been out anywhere hot and it's really, really bad for you to be out in the midday. Donna and I, many, many years ago before we even had Jordan, went to Cyprus and it was lovely, but we hadn't been abroad for a wee while, and we forgot ourselves. We were young, we were foolish, and we decided we would walk from Petarius, or from the, where we were, the cove that we were staying at the hotel, into Petarius. And this lovely London lady came out, obviously saw the dawn of colour and her blonde and us Celtic skin, pale skin, and she says, what are the poor you doing out in the midday sun? Get in here, and the lady made us sit and have drinks with her and cool down, and we were just young and wanted to get out there. But you know, you don't do that. But the reason why this lady was doing it was because her reputation was in the town. People knew what she was like. People knew her past. People knew all about her. So rather than going and listening to the scorn of the other women around the watering well and you know, talking about her, looking at her, like she was something that picked up on their shoe on the way in, this lady, to cause no pain or offense and to protect her own heart, this lady went to the midday heat to be away from everybody else. And on that day, she probably never expected to meet a Jewish man who would come and speak to her. And he would tell her all about herself. He asked her where her husband was, and she said, I have no husband. He said, Ah, you're right, you have no husband, but you've had five husbands, and the man you're with just now is not your husband. Wow. And before we think, she's a bit of a girl, let's face the church this morning, there's not one of us that's sitting in this congregation that can't think of five or six things, reasons. <laughs> My friend here saying more. <laughs> Why God or others around about us wouldn't want to be our friend. And yet Jesus has come along to this lady. He points out all that she's done 
And she acknowledges this because, I tell you this, this lady actually goes in after she receives what she needs from Jesus. She goes into the town and she says to everybody else, this wee girl who went out at midday not to get involved with anybody has this amazing experience with so much with Jesus that she goes into the town and she says, come and hear the man who knows absolutely everything about me. And not only did she find that there was someone who knew everything about her, but this was a person who actually knew what she needed in her life. So many failed relationships would maybe help us to understand or lead us to the occlusion that this woman was looking for satisfaction in another person. This woman was looking for these men to meet needs, but along the way, her needs were not being met, and that's why there was all this brokenness. But Jesus offers her living water, a water that he says will so refresh her spirit, will so minister to her that that's all she'll need. And that water that he was offering this lady in the middle of the day was his spirit to come and fill her and fill her up so much that she would not need anybody to meet her at her need. But you know, in the middle of this dialogue, in the middle of this conversation that this woman is having with Jesus, he must have caught a nerve. He was getting a wee bit too up and too close and too personal when he's starting to talk about this woman's failures, this woman's sin. And she does what most people, all of us do, when the finger is pointed out, she throws in a wee distraction. To try and reflect from her, he threw, she throws in this wee bit of a distraction and starts to ask the question about, well, you do say that you worship God in the temple, but... My ancestors say that we worship God on this mountain. See, she was trying to reflect because Christ was getting too close for comfort and she wanted to reflect. And as much as she needed her need met, actually coming face to face with her failure, her coming face to face with the things that she was getting wrong in her life was just too sore. So she throws in this curveball to try and get Jesus off the closeness of where he wants to be. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on the mountain, but you Jews claim the place is here on the hill, or we say it's here on the hill. Look at verses 21 to 24. The words that we were looking at earlier on and we say yet a time is coming and has come when the true worshipers will worship the father in spirit and in truth for they are the kind of worshipers the father seeks god is spirit and his worshipers worship him in spirit and in truth do you know we can have all the arguments of the day But Christ is still only interested in one thing, our soul. We can have all the arguments of the day why we shouldn't come to Christ or maybe why we should be running away from Christ and shouldn't be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. But the reality of it is Jesus is just interested in our soul. 
And no matter what curveballs we throw or we try to get into an argument or a decision for why we shouldn't be followers, Jesus is still going to home in on the fact that he loves your soul, that he wants relationship with you. Jesus was offering this woman a way through to be close to Father God. He was offering this lady a way to get away from her past, to come into a future where it would be an eternal future that she could have been in relationship with the Father. And he's offering this woman the Spirit of God, living water. And just as recorded in the previous chapter, in chapter 3 of John, we find another man comes to Jesus at night and he says, I want to be in relationship. I want to be in your kingdom. I want to be a part of what you're doing. What must I do to be saved? We find the Lord Jesus says to this man, you must be born again. You mean go back into my mother's womb and come out again? No. A spiritual rebirth where the Spirit of God infuses our spirit to make us one with him after we repent, say sorry for our sins, and we start to follow him. And it is in his spirit that allows us freedom and eternity with God. You see, friends, we can come to church we can sing all the songs. We can even presume all the positions. We can do it all. Clap our hands. We can do all of those things. We can even give money to church. But if we haven't had the Spirit-filled encounter when we ask Christ to forgive us our sin and the Spirit of God comes into our lives, we're not true worshippers of the Father. We're not true worshippers of the Father. We have never really worshipped the Father. Her distraction was a query over worship. And yours might be a theological or even an apologetical question that you have and have had for years about what you need the answer of before you can commit yourself to the Lord Jesus. Yet all the time, God's not concerned about the questions and the answers. He's just concerned for your soul. He's just concerned because he wants to be a part of you and you a part of him. Or maybe today you're living with a, a judgmental mind. You look around and you see this Christian in that church and that pastor and you think to yourself, well, if that's what it's all supposed to be about, well, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. But there's coming a day when we will all stand before God and we need to give an account of ourselves. And at that point of time, God's never going to say, ah, oh, you made your decision because this one said this in church and that one did that in church. He's not going to ask you about what they're doing with his son. He's going to ask you what you did with his son. And that's what the judgment will be based upon. Your heart towards him, your heart towards the Father saying, doesn't matter what's going on around about, this is a love relationship, a true love relationship, and it's not about the world, it's about me and you. It's about your heart being right with my heart, my heart being for your heart. And your response 
to this call that I'm calling you to be a true worshiper of me. Because here, what was sung over you this morning, what we've read from God's word is this, true worshipers worship in spirit. Now, when you go and you start to read through the commentaries, you'll notice in the NIV, there's a capital S for the Spirit. Another um, Bible renderings is a small S, and people are saying, well, and we're saying about worshiping in Spirit, is that big S for the Spirit of God, or is that we S for our Spirit? And you know the reality of it is? It's this. Unless you're born again of the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God dwells within you, your Spirit, the we S, will never really be truly able to worship Him. Until you open your heart and your mind, you seek forgiveness of God, and you say, I'm going to follow the Lord Jesus. Unless you make that decision in your heart today to follow him, you will never have his spirit infused in you to help you truly worship the Father. He calls true worshipers to worship him in spirit, but he also calls true worshipers to worship him in truth. And the truth is that we have missed God's mark. We will never come up to his standards. That's why Jesus was sent to die on the cross. And it's only when we accept his death for us on the cross and we accept that he is who he said he is will we ever come into that relationship of having the Spirit abide in us. Do you remember after Jesus rose from the grave, the scripture tells us that he appeared to some of his followers, he appeared to some of his disciples, and they were excited. He appeared to the women first, he came to tell Peter and the rest of the guys, but the one guy that seemed not to be there that day was Thomas, and you've heard the phrase, doubting Thomas. And because he didn't see it for himself, he had a one-to-one with Jesus. And he said to the group of followers, see until I can put my finger in his hands where those nails went. See until I can put my hand in the side where that spear went. Not going to believe that he rose from the grave. Do you know, you would think of that after all that the Lord Jesus had gone through, that the Lord would be like, you don't believe, Ralph, you don't believe. And yet the Lord in his graciousness had a one-to-one with Thomas and he says to Thomas, Thomas, come on, son, put your finger there. And his grace and in his mercy, he says, come on, give me your hand. Place it in the air. I am who I am. And in the middle of this conversation, you know, this doubting Thomas In the middle of all of this conversation, we see that Jesus saying to them that there's hope and there's hope for their future, but he was going to come away and come back again. Thomas says, but how do we know where you're going? And Jesus makes this statement. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, friend, today, until we allow him who is the way, the truth, and the life to be a part of our lives and invite the Spirit of God into our hearts, we are never going to be in that place where the Father wants us to be, true worshipers who are one with Him, who are in fellowship with Him, who are in love with Him, and who are destined to spend eternity with Him.
we need to acknowledge that he is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus came all the way from heaven to seek you out, just like he soaked, soaked, <laughs> just like, <laughs> honestly, it was only slur I was drinking over Christmas. <laughs> to seek him, to seek people, just like he sought this woman at the well. Jesus left heaven to come and seek you. And he knows where you're living today. He knows your address. He knows your heart. And he's knocking on the door of your heart. And he said, I want you to open your heart to my spirit. And yes, do you know something? I know all about you. I know what you thought yesterday. I know what you've been doing. I know what's hidden that even your close people in your life don't even know what you did and what you got up to. I know all about it, but I'm still knocking at your heart. Because I want to offer you what this world cannot give you. I want to give to you an assurance of deep down in your soul, my love, my heart, so that we can be one with each other. Can I ask you in this first Sunday of 2019, will you become a true worshiper of Jesus? That you will worship in spirit and in truth. Friend, don't let any more distractions blind your mind. Oh, this has to be right, and I need to know this, and I need to understand this. Allow yourself to be loved and fall in love with the Father who sent the Son to die in your place. Allow him to come close. And I want you, for a moment or two, if you're here this morning, and you're not a full follower of the Lord Jesus Christ, I want you to take a few moments. Don't think about the distractions. Think about who you are and what you've done and what he's done for you. And just open your heart now to allow the Father to speak love for your life, to you hear him calling you into relationship with himself. And in a moment or two, I'm going to show you how to do that. How to enter into that relationship. But before we do that, and for a few moments, church, I want to talk to us as believers. And I'm going to carry on from what we spoke about at the table, but how's your heart this morning? How is your heart? As we enter 2019, as, as EP people, as East Point people, we value the presence of God. And there's nothing more that we want and we desire than the very presence of God. But what about, so we know about spirit-led worship, but what about this morning a wee bit of truth? How's your heart? What's the condition of your spiritual heart today? As a church, as we enter into all that God has for us, all that God wants for us, do we not want to enter full of him? And full of, of expectation for what he's going to do for us, but we need to examine our hearts. You know, we too can be standing in here, and we can be lifting our hands, we can be singing the songs, we can do all the actions, know all the ways, know all the words, and yet the truth of it is our hearts can be very far from God. 
Our hearts can be hardened against people. Our hearts can be closing up. Even We can be having spiritual heart attacks just now because our eyes are off him and our eyes are on us or upon other people. And it's so easy to stand in church and sing the songs and raise our hands. We can render our hands. But the Lord said, will you render your heart? Will you render the real you? Will you come to me with your real you? Even in your brokenness, will you come? Joel 2 and 13 says, Rend your heart and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and he is compassionate. Slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from sending calamity. God wants his clothes. And yet, as people, yes, with grace, with forgiveness, with Christ living in our hearts, it's still easy sometimes to be overwhelmed in the world that we live. To find ourselves even as desiring to follow or to be followers of Lord Jesus Christ, but yet find ourselves in a hard place, and a closed place. Maybe that may be because we think nobody cares. Maybe the things that we've been pressing into God for, we've been praying for a change in our circumstances, we've been praying for a breakthrough, we've been praying for some stuff to happen, and it's not happening. And sometimes in that situation, we start to harden our heart against God. We can blame others for our unwillingness to abide in Christ. Well, they said this, and that person did this and us, and, and this is where we're at. Maybe the temptation of the flesh. So many things that can pull at our heart. And the truth is, the Spirit of God was given to us to abide in us that those things would not penetrate our heart. My Bible reading this morning and what I was dwelling on this morning, meditating is Romans 8 and 6, and it says this, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. And sometimes, church, we have a choice to make. We can make heart decisions out of hurt, out of frustration, out of pain, out of all of those things, rather than allowing our minds and our hearts to be governed by what the Spirit of God is saying to us. And here comes the truth, but I think if we're really being honest in the house, we've all been there, haven't we? Some of us have been there, are going to be there, some of us are there right now. And that is why as a people of God, we almost need, always will need, to be a people that lean not on our own understanding, but lean on the graciousness of his heart for us. Choosing the spirit of God's grace, comfort, timing, and the power to help us. So what do we do? What do we do today if we've come to church and we've been singing the songs and we've been trying to enter in, but in our heart we know that there's hardness, that there's a coldness, that there's something shutting down within us. We need to do what we were talking about around the table this morning. 
We need to sacrifice that heart. We need to get into that place again where we realize, God, you are great, you are good, you're all powerful, and I'm like dust in your hands. We need to get into that place of repentance with God and say, God, I've tried to do this by myself. I've made decisions by myself because of what I've been doing and rather than what you want for my life. And we need to break our spirit before God. Pastor, I don't know how to do that. Ask God to show you. But you need to start with honesty and you need to be saying, God, this is where I am today and I lay it all down before you as a sacrifice and allow God to come. Contrite is not a word that we really use today. It's not a popular word and let me give you a few definitions and then we're going to close. David spoke of a broken and contrite heart. The word of contrite means to bow down with awareness of our spiritual bankruptcy. To bow before God to say, Lord, I am bankrupt in my heart. That our inner spirit is crushed with the sense of our guilt that we know after all God has offered, all God's given, that we're still wanting it to be all about us and not about him. That we have a genuine and deep sorrow for our rebellion against God and a determined desire to be different. A contrite heart does not seek to rationalize or explain or excuse or defend or justify the way we are or our sin or what we have done, but it says it's me, O oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. It's not their fault, it's my fault. I am where I am today because of me, not because of someone else. It does not try to fool God or others or self. It recognizes that God demands truth and honesty within our inner spirit. It does not mean merely feeling bad or remorseful about sin. And it does not seek to blame our circumstances on other people or God but we realize it is our own failure. That is a contrite heart. And when we get into that place, church, what happens? Rather than feeling despised by God, as Psalm 34 tells us, he draws near. He draws near. And I don't know about you, church, but one thing for me, as we go through 2019, I want to feel him near. And that's why we've stripped it all back this morning. That's why we've come back to this place where we're being honest before God. And I'm encouraging you to be honest before God as I'm trying to be honest before God this morning and saying, God, I'm not all that. I need you. I desire you and what's wrong in me I want you to put right because I want to be the man and I want you to be the man and the woman of God that God wants us to be that we can carry all that God has for us in this new year I want you to bow your head and close your eyes I want maybe the worship guys would you come and join me on the platform here I said this morning if you are a person who has not yet become a true worshiper of Jesus because the Spirit of God does not dwell in you because you have not followed him yet. 
I said this morning that I would show you how, and it's quite easy. The Bible says if you confess your sin, he is just and he will forgive you your sin. If you confess the Lord and believe in your heart, then you shall be saved. And I'm going to pray a prayer this morning. And if that's you and you feel you want to enter into that relationship with Jesus, you want to go to be closer to him and really be a worshiper of the Father, will you pray this prayer with me? In the quietness of your heart. And then this is what we're going to do afterwards. I'm not going to embarrass anybody. I would just love you to come to me and say, Stephen, I prayed that prayer. I have a wee booklet here this morning that will help you take your first steps as a new believer in Jesus.